Previously on Colors. Something remarkable just happened in Oakland, California. Here you have, as you mentioned, this daughter of refugees, the second generation um, Hmong uh, woman who was able to get elected to one of the biggest cities in California um, as mayor and in a city that doesn't really have a large Hmong population. So I sort of set out wanting to know how did she do that? New York Times correspondent Amy Chin joins us with this amazing story. Coming up in this episode of Colors. I'm Mitchell Miller and I'm white. I've known Mitchell Miller for almost 20 years. He's a fellow journalist and a darn good one. But our paths almost crossed years before. He's going to talk to us about that. And he's also going to talk about his family's path into America and where he grew up. I grew up in a white suburb of Michigan that I've half-jokingly called Wonder Bread Land. I've now lived a long time in D.C., where I'm happy to say our daughter has grown up in a much more diverse environment. I have no regrets about where I lived as a kid, but my life is richer for having lived in the district. And yes, I still remember the magic of going to my job downtown and hearing the alluring sound of D.C.'s own go-go music for the first time. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. or Liz Lee. I am Korean American and I reside in Queens, New York. My name is Dr. Sean Anderson, originally from Palm Bluff, Arkansas, now living in Los Angeles. I identify as a black man. My name is Amy Hendricks. I am a member of the Cherokee Nation and I um, live on the Cherokee Reservation. And I'm JJ Green. I'm black and this is Colors. Here on Colors, We've been doing what we do for almost three years. It'll be three years in June of this year, the first week in June. And we've dealt with some pretty harsh and straightforward and controversial issues from day one that have to do with race in America, has to do with racism and, you know, the societal and cultural problems we have with race. And we've even talked with people from other countries about their perception of race in America. So um, that problem still exists. Those issues are still with us, but there are a whole lot of other things out there that Colors can and wants to embrace and to deal with and to learn about, frankly. And that's who are we as people, as a nation? We're a nation of immigrants. We have all a very different and interesting story. And so what I've decided to do is we're going to take a look at some of these stories. And I'm really pleased 
about the very first one of these stories is a guy that I've known for almost 20 years. He's a guy that's a colleague at WTOP Radio. And incidentally, almost our paths crossed probably maybe even like a decade before that, but we missed each other by a few months. But at any rate, this guy's name is Mitchell Miller. He's the Capitol Hill correspondent at WTOP, one of the most congenial, uh, smart, and really talented radio uh, journalist or journalist of any kind that I've met in my entire life. Mitch has a story, and I want you to hear that story. Mitch, welcome. Thank you very much, JJ, for the kind words, too. So um, let's start the story. We almost met back, what, in the, was it the 80s or something yeah, like that? Yeah, the 1980s, yeah. In, in Norfolk, Virginia. I was working at a radio station there. I left there to come to Washington to work. And I found out m- years later from talking to you that you actually went to that very same station not long after I left. Tell us that story. Yeah, that was really interesting. I mean, like you said, we really just missed each other by a matter of months or years, maybe a couple of years at the most. Uh, I had come down to Norfolk to get my first job out of college. I had been here in Washington working on my master's degree uh, in international affairs, not in journalism. And I went down there and uh, I worked for what is similar to the Associated Press, uh, United Press International, which still barely exists, but does exist as a wire service reporter. And because uh, they cut our salaries by a third, I needed to get some more money. Wow. So I went to the radio station where you and I worked not at the same time, but very closely uh, at WTAR, which is a legacy radio station in that area. Uh, worked with a great bunch of people in a t- different era for radio. But what I really liked about moving down to Norfolk and that Hampton Roads area where I know you went to college was just the incredible diversity of people that you met. Yeah. Um, you know, I had been used to kind of this little cocoon for a while here in Washington while I was going to grad school and to to go out and uh, be reporting every day and meeting people from the Navy, lawyers, watermen, people that went to or faculty members at Hampton University where you were or people right. in the Army. You know, you just met this incredible uh, broad sweep of humanity. And I loved it. I loved sitting down next to somebody who said, uh, you know, when you're just asking them what they do and they said, well, I just I came back. I was just on a rig working out in the Gulf, um, you know, uh, you know, getting oil. Uh, for the last two months, and uh, now I'm back here for a few weeks, and then I'll go do it again somewhere else. So, you know, you just met an incredibly diverse group of people. Yeah, you know, and speaking of the university situation there, you know, there's Old Dominion University there. Uh, and in addition to that, there, there, there are all sorts of smaller colleges there. The interesting thing about this is that, as you mentioned, this is a, a military region, so you had a lot of people from different parts of the world who came there, ended up there, made their homes there, and therefore you have this incredible uh, patchwork of diversity there of people of all races that you would find there. And that was one of the most really, that was really one of the most interesting experiences that I had while there. Yeah, I agree. And you know, like a lot of, of course, being a military town, the home of literally the largest naval base in the country, the Norfolk Naval Station at the time, um, 
you know, you would go down there and you know how the military is hurry up and wait. So you'd wait for an aircraft carrier to come back after a six month deployment. And so you're, you're waiting with all these families from all across the country. They're waiting for their loved one to come back from wherever it was. Uh, in one case, it was literally from uh, Iraq and the Persian Gulf. War region, uh, just an incredible uh, feeling when all these people would be coming back and to be able to talk to people from all over the country. And yet they had this unity of mission together, at least for that day. You know, I'm not going to gloss over it and, and romanticize it too much, but I, I found it so fascinating to go and talk to persons from, you know, California or New York or from Louisiana, wherever it was. And I just love to be able to talk to people from all different walks of life. Yeah. And so for those of you listening, you can't see this. Mitchell Miller is a white male and um, colors is, as I said before, it's all about diversity and everybody has a story and everybody, you know, uh, has some kind of background and the situation um, that I think personally is very interesting to learn about. And so you heard um, on the previous edition of Colors um, something we called Reflections on Race. And you heard this little uh, submission from Mitchell. And this is what you heard. I'm Mitchell Miller, and I'm white. I grew up in a white suburb of Michigan that I've half-jokingly called Wonder Bread Land. I've now lived a long time in D.C., where I'm happy to say our daughter has grown up in a much more diverse environment. I have no regrets about where I lived as a kid, but my life is richer for having lived in the district. And yes, I still remember the magic of going to my job downtown and hearing the alluring sound of D.C.'s own go-go music for the first time. So with the go-go music playing in the background, that to when I first got it from Mitchell was really, really funny. But you have to know Mitchell to know he's got that kind of sense of humor. But Mitchell, you mentioned this Wonder Bread community that you grew up in. Tell us about that community. Yeah, it's really interesting. So I grew up in a suburban community of Lansing, Michigan, near Michigan State University. So you have a lot of families that have ties to the university, which is not uncommon in a place like that. Um, but what was somewhat uh, unique in my experience, although I didn't know it at the time because I was living in it, my entire school virtually, except for a handful of kids, was white. So I never met black kids unless we were playing a sporting event with another team across town or going to visit somewhere. And I started to think about my my background, and you and I have touched on this over the years. And one thing was, I was looking back recently at uh, the history of busing. And in Lansing, Michigan, like a lot of communities across the country, um, there were groups of kids, of course, that were bused to different districts. Uh, black kids moved to white districts, white districts, white kids moved to black districts. And it was really fascinating to see that because my elementary school was virtually untouched by that. And there was this incredible amount of activity going across the country that I didn't really know about at the time. And the only reason I learned about it was when I was in elementary school, they had a program where they took 
the kids from my school, the white kids, to a predominantly black school. And they had you matched up with kids all day long so that you could learn a little bit about what their experience was and what your experience was. And this is kind of comical, but I got paired with like the only white kid at the black school. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what's the deal? That would be your luck. And not to be politically incorrect, but I just thought I was ripped off. You know, I was like, this is a supposed this is supposed to be an experience for me. And I see white kids all the time. I don't really, you know, nothing against the white kid that I was with. But at any rate, so I tried to get in with the other the other kids in the other group. But I mean, that that's how, um, you know, segregated things were at the time. And then, as I told you, as I as I got older, um, uh, we found out, you know, about a lot of different schools that we would go play basketball against. And um, and I, I was just enamored with uh, this young uh, player who was across town from us at uh, Everett High School, uh, which is in Lansing. Uh, he was known then as Irvin Johnson. Right. Uh, a local DJ thought he had such great moves that he nicknamed him uh, and, and a local columnist for the local paper. Uh, basically came up with magic. And so Irvin Magic Johnson went across town and played basketball. And uh, that was uh, just a whole nother uh, experience for me. How'd the game go? <laughs> <laughs> well, Okamas Okamas was the was the classic, uh, you know, white men can't, can't jump kind of team, but uh, good fundamentals. We didn't actually play Irvin Johnson when I was uh, when I was playing uh, on the JV team, but we did eventually play uh, Everett uh, High School in later years. But um, so he's a couple years old years older than me, and yeah. uh, you know, back then with no internet, kids being kids. Uh, the phone was always something that you could, you know, mess around with. So, so my friends on a dare said, you should call Irvin Johnson's house and ask for Irvin Johnson. And I was like, all right, I'll do that. So you called up magic. So I I called up Irvin Johnson's house because his his phone number was in the phone book back then. (laughs) And much to my surprise, I got an answer from a woman and it turned out it was Evelyn Johnson, his sister, who in her own right became a very good college basketball player. I just said, hey, this is uh, this is Mitch Miller. Just just tell Irvin that I called. And, and she kind of, you know, laughed and uh, I think kind of knew what was going on and said, OK, but was very polite. And we hung up the phone. And then, of course, my friends couldn't believe that I actually did that. Well, you know what you need to do now? You have to somehow let Magic Johnson know that that happened. <laughs> and you have to, you, you, his sister, hopefully she's, you know, able to and, and will we'll, we'll vouch for you. But this is, <laughs> this is remarkable. But, you know, this is the part of the thing about why I wanted to talk to you on this show is you are incredibly good natured. And, you know, you know, when we were having, these racial problems that we were having the last few years with George Floyd and others, you were one of the first people that came on, the, came on the program, uh, or at least came to me and talked about how this program would be very helpful. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, um, I'm not at all surprised that you would do that. You probably was were a very pre- precocious kid growing up and, you know, 
you just understood the difference between right and wrong, difference between racism and not being a racist, et cetera. So um, thank you for that. Thank you for the story. Thank for, Thank you for being who you are. But I want to hear some more about your experience when you came to Washington. Um, yeah. You know, the, the go-go thing. And the, the, so what was it like being in this melting pot when you got here? Well, you know, if you talk to my wife, who's originally from Prince George's County, she paints this picture of a very innocent, naive young man coming to Washington. I didn't know her at the time, but uh, I, and I think she was right. I really was very full of uh, the naivete of somebody who's just, hey, you know, if I'm nice to people, they're going to be nice to me. Not yeah. not thinking that, uh, you know, I couldn't be a victim of something or that, that people couldn't be mean to me, but I just, you know, the golden rule, right? And so, you know, when I first came to D.C., um, I really had no idea what it was going to be like. I had never really lived in the city. I had kind of been in the burbs. And I really found that I enjoyed living in the city a lot. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That first couple of years that I lived in D.C., D.C. was literally at the height of the crack wars. So you had more than 400 murders yes. uh, a year when I first came here. Um, my next door neighbors, uh, I had a, a little get together when I first got there. Uh, my next door neighbors robbed us. And, um, you know, so it was kind of a rude awakening. And, you know, it makes me think of this uh, incident that I had after this robbery at our, our uh, row house that we lived in. I happened to work downtown at a monitoring service that monitors all the um, uh, news operations, including WTOP and all the TV stations. And um, I met this guy um, from West Africa named Freddie Cole, who uh, we befriended each other. And he, I said, you know, you should just come to our house sometime and, uh, you know, have a beer or whatever. And um, I remember this incident where we were walking to my house and this guy that was in this house next to us, who clearly had some issues, um, you know, came up and said, hey, I heard your guys are having another get together, another party. We want to come over. And, you know, it was a very delicate situation because, uh, you know, I knew at that point that uh, basically he had come into that house that night and, and stolen stuff. So, um, you know, I, I kind of put him off a little bit and we happened to be coming back from a little convenience store and I handed him a beer and said, you know, this is just going to be a private gathering or whatever. And then I joked with my friend Freddie and said, I said, this sounds kind of weird, but I'm kind of glad Freddie that you're black <laughs> because <laughs> this guy is going to think I'm just a typical white guy who is trying to brush him off. And so those type of things that happen, I think you just need to be to freely talk about it and yeah. you know it's an uncomfortable situation and it wasn't something that i really you know wanted to be part of necessarily but that was just reality and so then getting to the point of what you were talking about earlier kind of the happier stuff is um you know i would go down to that building where freddie and i worked and i would hear the kids pounding on the uh, upside down trash cans and whatever and it was just like it was just electric to me. I mean, I just, I loved it. And, you know, it's just booming off the buildings in downtown D.C. And I, I, it would, I would venture to say you probably had not heard that style of music before, right? No, no, I never had. And you know, it's it really go -Go. interesting. What's that? Well, I was just saying for the audience, they call it go-go. 
yeah, Go Go Music. And Go Go Music was really on the cusp, as you'll remember. It was right. people were thinking maybe this is going to be something that goes nationwide. And it, it did, you know, have a national following for a while. But the interesting thing to me is having not ever heard that music before, I, I immediately knew I had a connection to it and I liked it, yeah. you know, which which is kind of hilarious um, to think about. But also something else that uh, I may not have told you before, I had a good friend uh, when I was in college who had a late night radio show. And um, let's just say for the audience this guy looks like about the whitest guy you could possibly imagine. You know, he's a he's a white guy about my age. He's got red hair. And he played rap music all the time on his show. And so he actually introduced me to a lot of rap music as I was getting into the whole scene with go-go music. So, um, you know, I've always been open to all forms of music, but that was a real welcoming thing for me in D.C. I loved that. Yeah. Well, you know, being open is really the key to a lot of things. And so clearly your parents raised you uh, to be open and to have an open mind about things. And, and you know, just I want to get just to, before we run out of time here, I want to get into um, basically you, do you, you do have a few more minutes, right? Sure. OK. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to get into um, your your parents, their backgrounds and, um, you know, how they got to America, because, you know, we're all immigrants. Some of us just can't track our history back as far as others. But I think you are one of those fortunate people that can. So, um, like I said, your folks clearly raised you um, right. And i um, just wondering where your folks came from. Yeah. So this is kind of an interesting juxtaposition to uh, the melting pot of Washington, D.C. But my father uh, and mother, my mother uh, is originally from Canada in a very tiny, tiny town in Manitoba, Canada, uh, near Winnipeg, which literally has fewer than 100 people in it. So imagine that. Then my father, he is originally from uh, Ohio, but his his relatives are from Germany and Switzerland. So they came over with a lot of uh, people at that time uh, affiliated with the Amish and with Mennonites, yeah. who are... Um, a little less um, have a fewer rules than than the Amish do, but but adhere to a lot of the the same views that they do, and um, so it was really interesting. I didn't really realize this as I was growing up, but um, many of my relatives uh, are Mennonite, and so they're very devout. Um, one of them, my uncle, my dad's brother, uh, taught at a school called Goshen College, which for for over a hundred years, was one of the only universities in the country that did not play the Star Spangled Banner because they thought it was too violent, and they were a very peaceful uh, group of people. So, I had this very interesting background where um, I didn't really, really even realize it at the time. And then um, my mother, coming from this little town in Canada, um, for whatever reason, I think. I guess to kind of bring it together, having these two parents um, from very rural areas where they didn't uh, know a lot from outside the area, um, yet my mother, as she pointed out in a recent email to me, noted that when she was little, um, because her mother was often ill, she lived with a French family, a Polish family, 
and a Ukrainian family. Wow. All in the period when she, before she was a, a teenager. And then she was the first kid that was sent off to college and went to the University of Manitoba. And my dad eventually um, went to Ohio State University after going to smaller schools in Ohio. Um, but, you know, they always they always taught me to, to treat others as you would, you know, be good to golden others. As you, right. The golden rule. Exactly. Uh, right. And we, we live by the golden rule all the time. And, um, you know, like I said, we did live in this kind of wonder bread world, but they always taught me to respect other people no matter what. And um, it didn't happen often, but I still actually remember, I just thought of this, uh, the first time that my mother brought a black coworker to our house, which yeah. was pretty rare. And, and it wasn't, there wasn't any big deal about it or anything. It was just like, oh, here's this coworker. She came over for coffee and I think she may have stayed for dinner. And it just wasn't a thing, you know? And right. um, so it, I think that kind of behavior just helps to tell you that, you know, you just respect other people. You hope they respect you and, um, and, and treat them just like you'd like to be treated. Well, it is very clear that your parents did an excellent job with you um, <laughs> in instilling those values, you know, whether they're Mennonite, Amish, straight up American, uh, or what, you know, um, they clearly did a great job. Uh, and, and speaking of Mennonite, uh, there's a school in Virginia, Eastern Mennonite, um, which is in Harrisonburg, Virginia. I recall when I was growing up um, hearing about that school a lot. And actually, uh, I think during the, the my uh, early 20s, uh, ran into some people in the Norfolk area, which is where we almost crossed paths. Right. Um, met some of those folks there. And so I understand what you're saying about the the upbringing and the the cultural and societal views that they have. But, you know, thank you again. This is a part of the reason why Colors exist. As I said before, we've been dealing with a lot of controversial stuff over the years, and we will continue to dig into that. But there's a whole other side of people that's nothing controversial at all. It's just our stories. And hearing your story here on Colors has just been a joy. So thank you, Mitch, for doing this. Thank you for doing this, JJ. Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're listening to Colors. My name is Cortland Cox. My I am African-American. I was born in New York and lived most of my life in Washington, D.C. The question of race means to me that we need as human beings to be able to fulfill what has been talked about in the Declaration of Independence, where every person is uh, has the right to write life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that any obstacle that comes into that, any, any obstacle that is made in terms of trying to block us from doing that needs to be eliminated. So my life's journey has been to talk about and to see how we can to everyone, not whether you're black or whether you're Hispanic or whether you're gay or whether you're transgender or whether you're a woman, to make sure that all people have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is Colors a dialogue on race in America. 
If you have any questions or comments about colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. My name is Elizabeth chun or Liz Lee. I am Korean-American, and I reside in Queens, New York. My name is Dr. Sean Anderson, originally from Palm Bluff, Arkansas, now living in Los Angeles. I identify as a Black man. My name is Amy Hendricks. I am a member of the Cherokee Nation, and I um, live on the Cherokee Reservation. And I'm J.J. Green. I'm Black, and this is Colors. Coming up in our next episode of Colors... Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday is January 15th. That's coming up next week on Monday. And his dream was to give the world a society that focused on character and not complexion. So how is America doing? Wallet Hub has done a very interesting study or survey in which they rank the states with the most racial progress. We will have it and we'll have an interview with them in our next episode. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. I've got a very important announcement today before we go. I want to let you know that Colors is now moving from the Podcast One platform over to a new platform. You will still be able to find it on all your podcast locations, wherever you get your podcast. But I want you to know we're making some changes. And we're going to make these changes for the better. And hopefully we're going to grow this podcast. We want to grow our relationship with you. And we want to grow what we're able to do and accomplish by having this dialogue on race in America. Thanks to Hillary Howard, Mike Jakaitis, Joel Oxley, Julia Ziegler. Thanks to Jeremy Sinan. Thank you to all of those folks who've helped us with our show from beginning to now. Thanks to Offshane for the music. Thanks to Jesse Gallagher. Thank you, Cosmic. And most of all, thank you to you. Thanks for being loyal listeners. And just remember, during your daily travels, keep talking to each other about race. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors a dialogue on race in America.